Wonderful. Praise the Lord. It's so good to worship God together. Uh, my name is Russ Kahards. If you're new to this uh, live stream, welcome to you. It's wonderful to have you join us. And I'm one of the pastors at New Gen City Church. And uh, it's my privilege this morning just to preach God's Word. And I really feel like God wants to do something significant in our lives this morning. And so I just encourage you just to open up your hearts and let the Lord minister to you. And I believe He's going to do great things in our midst. And so let's, uh, let's get into the message. Um, over the last two months, I, um, I suppose it's been about that long, we've gone through the gifts of the Spirit uh, from 1 Corinthians in chapter 12. And uh, those gifts are wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, the working of miracles or the power to perform miracles, discernment of spirits, prophecy and tongues, and interpretation of tongues. So we've looked at those nine gifts. And then two weeks ago, I looked at how we are all parts of the body of Christ and how all of us play an important role. We all have a unique, uh, a unique part to play. And the wonderful thing is the Holy Spirit can give those gifts so that all of us can contribute at any time in, and in any meeting. And um, this morning at the end of chapter 12, uh, Paul makes a very interesting statement. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31, Paul says this. He says, So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. And other versions read, Earnestly desire the greater gifts. And that's my title this morning earnestly desire the greater gifts. When I read that verse, uh, when I was preparing this message, I felt something jump within me. And I really feel like God is um, wanting, wanting to me to speak on this verse this morning. I, uh, I really believe it's on the heart of God for us as a local church. I was, I was going to uh, kind of move on into chapter 13, start preaching on love. Uh, but it's almost like as I was about to do that, the Holy Spirit kind of grabbed my arm, pulled me back and said, hey, don't go there just yet. I want you to speak on this, uh, this verse. Uh, just don't rush off this topic just yet. Earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I believe that uh, this morning God is going to knock on the doors of our hearts and uh, he wants to come in into our lives. He wants to have a look around. And he's not looking for what he can see on the surface level, but he's going to look very deeply and very carefully into our lives this morning. He's going to look below the surface. And I believe that as he walks around our lives, the question in the back of his mind is going to be, is there an earnest desire for the Holy Spirit in this person? I believe that's what God wants to do in the lives of all of us this morning. He's looking around. And he's asking the question, is there an earnest desire for the Holy Spirit in this person? And so I've got three points this morning. Uh, first of all, let's just cover off what are the greater gifts as the first point. Because it's important that if, we, if God's wanting us to desire something, we need to be sure that we're desiring the right thing. So what are these greater gifts? Uh, some in the church have taught that the greatest gift is love. And so the, the teaching in some churches is earnestly desire love above all the other spiritual gifts. And, um, 
and it's got it's got to the stage in some places where if if people earnestly desire love or show love we can ignore the gifts of the holy spirit as long as we're loving one another and the manifestation of the spirit is kind of secondary and and in some cases is is neglected or is not important as long as the church shows love it's okay but paul says uh Paul actually says in the next chapter that these, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. So is that what Paul is talking about? Is he saying the greatest is love, and, and that's what we should really be desiring? But I want to say it isn't that, because here's the thing. Love isn't a gift. Love is a fruit. And so Paul is saying desire the greater gifts, not the greater fruits. And so... Paul is not talking about love here. Love is important. And in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Paul says, Let love be your highest goal. So that's okay. Let love be your highest goal. But you should desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. So Paul says we should all be desiring to prophesy. Desire to be used by God in this gift of prophecy. To be given the gift uh, to be able to speak uh, with a deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. To speak the words that God would speak into the church is extremely important. To speak, to be moved by the Spirit of God. Paul is saying you should desire that. And that's not something human, that's something divine. Why does Paul say especially desire to prophesy? Well, I believe the reason is, is that prophecy builds up the entire church. Prophecy would be categorized as one of the greater gifts because it has the greater impact or the greater influence. You know, if, if in the church there are one or two people that are sick, the gift of healing is wonderful, but the rest of the people don't benefit from that gift because only a few sick people got, he got healed. But when a prophecy comes, it builds up the entire church. It encourages the entire church. And that's why it's, it's, a, it's a greater gift in that sense. It's not that it's above or below or whatever. It's just that it has a greater impact because it's touching more people. If, for instance, the entire church was sick or the entire church needed deliverance, well, then the greater gift would be, say, the gift of discernment or the gift of healing or the gift of working miracles or something like that because at that stage the, the church would need freedom from, from demonic uh, influence. And so prophecy in that instance wouldn't be the greater gift. Uh, but, but in most cases there's never, there's never a bad time for the church to hear from God or to be encouraged by God. And so this is really what I believe Paul is saying. The greater gifts are the gifts that are the most needed at any one given time. There's nothing wrong with wisdom or knowledge or uh, tongues, interpretation of tongues, but whatever gift is needed at the, at the time, that is the gift that we should be desiring. But I also want to add in is that it's the Holy Spirit that distributes these gifts as he determines. So, so if the Holy Spirit wants to work through us uh, in, in a healing, let's say, we shouldn't be going, oh no, I don't want to be used by that. I want to be used by prophecy. 
uh, so I'm rejecting healing, I'm waiting to prophesy. Well, that's not how it works either because it's the Holy Spirit we should be being led by and allowing him to flow through us and to do what, bring whatever gift he wants to give. But we should desire that whatever gift is flowing through us will, will impact more and more people, not just kind of like, okay, well, all I ever get used in is a word of knowledge. I impact one or two people every time. Paul is saying, earnestly desire to be used more by the Holy Spirit in every, in every meeting that you're in. So, so that's, that's what I believe Paul is meaning by the greater gifts. But I want to say this, is that in order for us to desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we need to actually desire to be led by the Holy Spirit as well. It's not like we should desire the gifts but ignore being led by the Holy Spirit. We can't desire the gifts and ignore our relationship with God. There should be more and more of a desire to be with the Lord, to spend time with Him, and as an overflow of that, the gifts of the Spirit are manifest in our lives. So the second point is this. Earnestly desire the gifts. This is where I believe God is turning his gaze upon the depths of our hearts. He's searching our hearts this morning. He's looking to see what are the desires in our hearts. And I want to put this question to you. Is it the earnest desire of your heart to be used by the Holy Spirit? Is that the earnest desire of your heart? When you come to a meeting, is there a burning desire to be used by God to minister to other Christians? See, to, to earnestly desire something is to be moved on the very core of your being, very inside of you, of who you are. It's to be stirred in your soul. And I fear that the majority of the church around the world have settled down. They've settled for a substandard Christianity or a Christian experience. They've settled for the mundane. They've settled for the ordinary. Settled for what they can see and touch. And all the while the Holy Spirit waits and He waits and He waits. The all-surpassing power that he desires to release is held back because there's nobody earnestly desiring the gifts. See, sometimes we can finish our church meetings with a tea and a coffee. And we can chat together after the meeting. One person might say, that was a nice meeting. Someone else might say, that was an interesting topic. Someone else might say, well, I enjoyed the singing. But the Holy Spirit did nothing in the meeting. No believer gave him the opportunity to move. No one realized he was even there. There was nothing supernatural. There were no gifts manifested in the meeting. There was no prophetic word, no word of knowledge, no healings, no miracles, no tongues or interpretation. And yet sometimes we say that was a good meeting. I had this thought a while back. I, I, I thought if you took the book of Acts and, and you removed the manifestations of the Holy Spirit 
you'd have hardly anything left. You wouldn't have the book of Acts, you'd have the page of Acts. Now, I believe God is saying, particularly to us as a local church, He's saying to Nugen, earnestly desire the gifts, earnestly desire the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life. Earnestly desire the Holy Spirit. Earnestly desire God in your life. Earnestly means to have a sincere and an intense conviction. This is what the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a believer. You see, God is a consuming fire. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what happens. He begins to consume our lives if we let Him. That fire that the Holy Spirit is begins to overflow into our lives and we're set on fire by Him. And there's an earnest desire in our lives for the Lord, for the Lord to be glorified, for Him to move through our lives. There's a deep, intense conviction. And when that happens, it burdens you to pray. It burdens you to fast. There's, there's something that moves on the inside of you where you go, I can't settle. I can't keep still. I've, I, I've got to see more of God moving in my life, in and through me. There's an earnest desire for the Lord to be manifested in a meeting. And we simply can't say, well, that was a nice meeting. That was a good meeting. Unless God actually moved. Unless we saw a manifestation of the invisible God that we worship. Because a lot of, our, a lot of meetings can happen where there is singing, where there is doing some religious stuff, where there is even praying, but we can do all of that without God. In fact, many other religions do all that and the Holy Spirit isn't present in those meetings. And so we've got to look at what's going on and say, well, if there wasn't a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our meetings, there should be an earnest desire. It should drive us to pray. It should bring us to our knees where we cry out to God and we say, God, we must see you moving. We are not a social club. We're not just some kind of a gathering where we get together and do a few religious things and are happy doing that. We must see the manifestation of the unseen God that we worship in our midst. That's the desire that the Lord is wanting to put in our hearts. You see, it's easy for us to... to to go through religious ceremony in the flesh. But, but in order for us to see the supernatural happening, only God can do that in our midst. When there's a manifestation of the Spirit, when there's an accurate prophecy or a divine healing or a tongue or an interpretation of tongues, that's something that no man can produce. No one can give a prophecy out of their own head. No one can heal the sick with their own ability. It takes a supernatural move of God to break in and through us for him to do that kind of thing. And Paul is urgently, earnestly saying, earnestly desire the moving of the Holy Spirit in your lives. See, the Holy Spirit is stirring something. 
I believe that God is wanting to put fire inside of each and every one of us. And you might feel something stirring inside of you this morning. Well, let God do His work. Let Him breathe upon you. Let Him produce that hunger. Let Him produce a thirst for more of the Lord. And I believe God is stirring us this morning and He's saying, I want you to break camp. I want you to, to move from where you are now, where you've settled. God is saying, be the pilgrim people that he's called us to be. Psalm 85 verse 4 says this. Psalm, sorry, Psalm 84 verse 5 says this. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. This is the people that God wants us to be, a people who are moving through this earth because this isn't our home. This is not our final destination. Our home is heaven with God. And God wants us to be a pilgrim people moving through. But unfortunately, large sections of the church have settled. And God is coming and he's, he's walking in our lives. He's looking around and he's saying, you need to break camp. You need to move from where you are now and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let me just, let me just talk a little bit in my third point about breaking camp. What are the things that God is saying you need to break camp from. There are a few things, there are a few camps that I believe God is highlighting to us today. First of all, He wants us to break from the camp of plurality. What do I mean by plurality? Plurality is when somebody worships multiple gods at the same time, side by side. Exodus 20 verse 3, God says this. He says, do not have other gods besides me. In other words, God, just, God doesn't just want first place in our lives. He wants the only place in our lives. He doesn't want any other gods next to him. He wants to be the all that we worship. He wants to be the only object of worship in our lives. Nothing else beside Him. See, the world, the world is full of things that we fall in love with. Things that demand our attention. Things that consume our time and draw us away from relationship with the Lord. So our desire might be to put God first. But because we're in love with all these other things... Those things draw us away from spending time with God, from worshipping God. So search your hearts this morning. Is God your first love? Is He your only love? Is there a desire in your hearts to spend time with the Lord? Do you really desire to be with the Lord? Do you look forward to a quiet time. You look forward to prayer. Listen to the words of David in the psalm. See, here's a man who's deeply, deeply in love with God. I'm really moved when I read this psalm. I'm thinking, David loved God. It's so clear. And as I read these verses, I want to ask you this question. This is the question I ask myself. Could I say these words and really mean it? Or would I be lying? Psalm 84, 
In verses 1 and 2 and verse 10, Psalm 84, David says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. And then verse 10, A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. You see, when we camp in the camp of plurality, there are a thousand other things that we would rather be doing and spend time with God. We're excited about everything else. We hardly have any excitement left for God. That's what happens when we're camped in plurality. If people get excited about a new movie, they can't wait to go and see it. People get excited to go on holiday. They spend a week preparing. They're so excited when they set off. They get excited to go shopping. The government are handing out money. People get excited. How am I going to go spend that money? I'm so excited to go and spend that money. Sometimes we get so excited about something that we can hardly sleep at night. But what about spending time with God? What about being with God? Are we excited about that? See, David was so excited and so, so earnestly desiring to be with God, it says he almost fainted with desire. Now, I'm not there yet, and I'm not saying, hey, I'm on I'm, I'm like David. I'm hoping to get there one day. But there are times when I go to bed at night that there's an excitement in me to wake up in the morning because I know that in the morning I'm going to spend time with God and there, there's been the occasional night where I've gone to bed excited because I know I'm going to meet God in the morning. I believe God wants to stir that up within us where we get to a point where we are excited about spending time with God, where it's not a burden, it's an excitement. It's something we earnestly desire to be with the Lord. This is the burning passion that only God can produce in our lives when we surrender to the Lord. If we let Him lead us, He will produce this kind of a passion. He'll put this kind of fire inside of our lives. When we allow him to break us out of the camp that we're in. Maybe this morning you've recognized, hey, I'm in this camp. I need God to break me out of it. He will do that. See, it's not something that you, we can produce in our own effort. It's something that the Holy Spirit does in us as we yield to him. The Bible says, the spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit says it first. And then, when he moves, we also agree with it. It's not something we can do first. It's something we need to yield to God. So this morning, if you're feeling like, oh my word, that's me. I'm in this camp. I need help. I need to break out of this. Ask the Holy Spirit to do the work in your life. Ask him to put that fire inside of you so that you can say, yes, I desire to be with God. The Lord will put that desire in you and you work it out in obedience. The Holy Spirit will light the fire 
We've just got to make sure we don't put it out. Rather, we should fan it into flame. Break camp from, from plurality. In fact, if you allow the Holy Spirit to break you out of this camp, you'll be the happiest you've ever been in your life. Because Psalm 84 verse 4 says this, What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. It's an absolute joy to be in the presence of God. Anyway, that's plurality. Let me move on to another camp. The camp of the insurance policy. God wants us to break from this camp. See, there are some people who are Christians purely because of the value of the insurance policy that God provides. That's the reason they're in the church. They don't really want a relationship with God. They don't want a Holy Spirit who's going to come in and start sweeping out their lives and producing holiness. They want to live their lives how they want, but they want the insurance policy. Their greatest desire is simply to avoid going to hell. So they said the prayer. They've repented of their sins. They attend meetings and they're prepared to even give their tithes and give generously because of the tremendous value they place on being saved from an eternity in hell. They've got their heavenly insurance policy. They want a little bit of God, but they don't want the all-consuming fire. They don't want to surrender all. They want to know what's the minimum I have to give in order to keep my policy intact so that I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But I only want to just give God the bare minimum of what's required in order not to uh, break that policy or make it invalid in any way. You see, here's the thing. Eternal life is not about avoiding hell. Eternal life is knowing God. That's what Jesus taught. It's about knowing God. And so ask yourself the question, hey, if I don't want to spend five minutes with God here on earth, why would you want to spend an eternity with God in heaven? That's what eternal life is. It's being with God. It's knowing God. Maybe this morning God is speaking to you and he's saying, hey, I want you to break camp. You're in this for an insurance policy, but God wants you to be in this so that you can know him. The reason I'm a Christian is not to avoid going to hell. It's to know God. It's to be with God. I want to be in a close relationship with God. One day, and I can't wait for that day, I'm going to land on the golden shores of heaven. I'm going to walk down the streets of the new Jerusalem with Jesus, my King. Speak to him. Be in fellowship with him face to face i can't wait for that that's going to be the most amazing thing that's why i'm a christian it's to know god it's to be in relationship with him that excites me but you know something i don't have to wait for that day because we have a down payment the holy spirit is given as a down payment so that we can have relationship with god here on earth and my goodness if the down payment is anything to go by, what's to come is going to be even more amazing. 
And this is, the, this is what God is stirring up in our lives this morning. He's saying, is there an earnest desire to be with me? Is there an earnest desire to pray? An earnest desire to read the word? To be in the presence of God? God is stirring that up this morning. Search your heart. If you're in this for an eternal insurance policy, break camp. Then there's the camp of social Christianity. You see, some, some people are in the church for social reasons only. Their only reason to be in church is to socialize with their friends. Talk about the latest news, or the latest sporting results. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but if it's the only reason, there's a problem. Others are there to find a spouse, someone Christian to marry. See, Christians like this, they don't really want to know God. They want to know all about what's going on in everybody else's life. That's what, that's what they want to know about. Who's having a baby? Who lost their job? Who got a promotion? There's a lot of conversation in churches like these, but it's not about the Lord. There's no mention of the Lord. It's all about everything else. When you look at the early church, you see that Christianity spread like wildfire with, from everyday people, people who worked in the fields, people who went to the market to sell their wares, people who, you know, in their kitchens, just talking one-on-one -on -one with other people, sharing their passion about the Lord. It wasn't great meetings with, with you know, charismatic speakers and dynamic preachers. And it was just everyday people going about their mundane life. But they were excited about a king from another kingdom. And they were excited. They were a part of that kingdom. And that one day, that king was coming back to save them, to, to draw them out of this corrupt world that we're in and to to exalt them, to give them glorified bodies, to, to live with the Lord forever and ever. That's the reason they met together. They weren't part of some social club. They were part of a kingdom with a king. They were part of the family of God, and they were eagerly awaiting for the return of their king. But you see, if you're in the social camp, you don't mind. Is there a manifestation of the Spirit or not? Well, it doesn't really matter. In fact, it's more of a nuisance because what they'd rather be doing is just talking about stuff, not about God. The return of Jesus, it's, it's more of an inconvenience than something that, that people are eagerly desiring. There's a, there's, there should be an earnest desire. Jesus, we can't wait for you to come back. Not, oh, Lord. There's a whole lot of stuff I'd like to do. Can you just wait a bit? Don't come back today. Come back in a month once I've done my stuff. Once I've kind of done the things I want to. You see, if you're in the social camp, it's all about an easy Christianity. It's all about one verse of Scripture. And then two, add two thoughts from your head. Add three quotes from a magazine. Four from a book you've read. Five stats from a news article. But you've got one verse of scripture in the midst of all this other stuff. And that's, and then we can call it Christian. Or God wants to be all-consuming. He wants it to be all about him. 
We don't want to just know a hundred facts about God. We want to know God personally. That's what the Holy Spirit is stirring up, I believe. If you're in the social camp, God is saying break camp. Allow him to break you out of that and into a close relationship with him. And then just one final camp is the camp of entertainment. See, some people are not ready to be filled with the Holy Spirit or to strengthen their relationship with the Lord because their view of Christianity is all about being entertained. It's all about having the thrill of being filled with the Holy Spirit, the experience, the buzz, the feeling, the sensation that happens. And if church isn't fun, well, they want to move on. They want to go down the road to where church is fun where there's something exciting happening. The songs have to entertain. The leaders need to be charismatic. The lights must flash and the preaching must inspire. But next week, it's all got to be changed. Because if it's the same boring stuff that happened last week, nobody's interested. <laughs> Unfortunately, millions of Christians just flock from one meeting to the next in order to find a place where revival is breaking out. And if there's revival happening in the church down the road, everybody runs there. But when it starts dying down, they look for somewhere else. They run to the next place where, where they perceive revival is to be breaking out. But the kind of people that God is wanting to produce look very different to this. You'll find an example of this in the book of Second Timothy, in chapter 2, I'll read from verse 3 to 6. Listen to this kind of people that Paul is describing to Timothy. And he's saying, these are the kind of people, when you're discipling people, this is the kind of person that God wants to produce. He says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tired in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hard-working farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. See, the, the Holy Spirit wants to produce Christians who are like soldiers, who love the Lord and who obey His commands. Christians who aren't entangled in civilian affairs. It's not that they sin. It's just that we get entangled with all sorts of things that take our attention off of the Lord. And he wants to produce soldiers who are focused on the king and his kingdom. The Spirit is also producing athletes, Christians who run the race with endurance, Christians who endure right to the end, not Christians who run at a million k's an hour for a month or two or maybe a year and then fall off the bandwagon but Christians who will keep enduring right to the end of their lives. Keep loving God. Keep spending time with God. Keep that relationship with God fresh and healthy. Not do that in the beginning years when it's all exciting and it's all new and then kind of die down and settle down. That's not the kind of Christian that the Holy Spirit is producing. He doesn't want people that are sitting on the sidelines, spectating, watching what's going on, commenting on others who are in the race. 
but not them, not in the race themselves. The Spirit is producing hard-working farmers, Christians who sow in faith, not Christians who rock up to a meeting and just want to buy something, like they go to the shop and just say, there, there's my 10 bucks, I'll buy that thing. A farmer doesn't do that. A farmer sows seed and then he waits patiently, waiting, waiting, waiting for that harvest to come through. And there's a faith element involved that, yes, I don't see anything now. I've sown my seed. I've stood on the word of God and now I wait and I hold on with faith until I see the answer to what I'm wanting to see. That's the kind of Christian that the Holy Spirit wants to produce. Christians who know how to live by faith, believing what they don't see and being sure of what they hope for. So in conclusion... I really believe that God is in our midst this morning. He's looking for desire. He's looking beyond the surface. He's not just looking around our house, okay, looks like everything's okay. He's, he's going deep this morning. He's looking behind the couch, under the bed, <laughs> in the cupboards. He's having a good look and he's saying, is there desire in this person's life, a deep desire for God? And this comes from being led by the Spirit. God is drawing us into a deeper relationship with Him. He's calling us to break camp. He wants us to be a people that are on fire for Him. People with an intense conviction in their souls that the need for the manifestation in the midst of, our of the Spirit, in the midst of our meeting, it's not just an interesting thought. Oh, that's an interesting thing. To think about the Holy Spirit manifest in our meeting. No. God is wanting a people who say that's an absolute necessity. If we don't see the manifestation of the Spirit, what are we doing? Why are we meeting? It's not just to have a conversation with each other. It's not just to drink tea and coffee. We can do that midweek in a cafe. We don't need a meeting for that kind of thing to happen. But what we need is God breaking in in our meetings, touching lives, a manifestation of the unseen God, doing supernatural things that none of us could ever produce in our flesh. How will a powerless church disciple the nations? How can we hope to do the will of God without being led by the Holy Spirit? None of us can save a single person. None of us can heal anybody. None of us can give revelation of a truth that God speaks without the Holy Spirit working through our lives. I've touched on a couple of camps this morning. There are probably a lot more. But I believe that some of these things are the tactics of the enemy, the, the, the schemes of Satan, to get the church into a place where we settle down, where we make camp, and where we become ineffective. We stop advancing the kingdom of God we just settle down and we settle for the mediocre. We settle for what we've got. And God is coming and he's saying, listen, your inheritance is at stake here. It's too valuable for me to just leave you on your own, for me to just leave you in your camp. And so God is coming and he's stirring, he's stirring us up. I believe that God is walking in our lives right now and he's troubling our spirits. I feel that word. It's like there's a troubling. If we're in these camps, God has come to trouble you.
on the inside of your spirit so that you're thinking, hey, I'm uncomfortable being here. I want to move. I, I can't just sit in this camp any longer. God is troubling me. The, the Holy Spirit is, is burning a fire inside of me. It's starting to consume parts of my life, starting to change parts of my life. And I've got to move. I've got to break camp. I've got to move with God. Otherwise, I'm going to miss out on something incredible. You see, God knows the value of relationship with Him. He knows there are people out there that need salvation. He, he knows that, that when we serve Him, when we move with Him, ultimately God is going to be glorified in all of it. And that's what God wants. He wants us to live lives that are going to bring glory and honor to Him. And he, he is so invested in this, he will never just come into our lives and say, oh, I see this person is camped in all these various camps. They're kind of stuck in this situation. I'm just going to turn a blind eye and leave it. No, God is not going to do that because you are too valuable for him. And he knows that you have an incredible inheritance. And so he's going to come and he's going to trouble you this morning. He's going to stir things up. He's going to make things uncomfortable until you respond to the Holy Spirit, until you surrender to him and say, okay, God, I give up. I'm not going to sit here anymore. You, you're putting a fire within me. I'm, I'm not going to try and contain that fire. I'm going to let it spill over into every room of my life into the areas where I've kind of said, God, you're not allowed in. Well, today, I'm going to let you in. I'm going to let that all-consuming fire come in and burn away all the nonsense, all the stuff, all the other stuff that I've been involved in. And I'm not saying this morning that God is going to come and just take away everything in your life, but He wants to be the object of our worship. And so our response this morning needs to be we come to God and we say, God, I surrender everything to you. Whatever you give back to me, I thank you for that. But I'm going to keep you number one. I'm going to keep you as my sole focus. I'm not going to fall in love with money or material things or other things and allow myself to be distracted from you this morning. I'm going to keep you in focus. I believe that's what God wants to do in lives this morning. So I want to close in prayer. I believe the best response that we can do before God this morning is to come before Him and just surrender and just say, God, here I am. This is all of who I am. This is my whole life. Every part about me, all my future, all my dreams, all my desires, I give them to you. If you want me to do them, well, that's wonderful. But I don't want to go down a road of my own. I want, I think, I feel. I want to go down a path that says, what do you want, Lord? What do you think about this topic? How do you feel about this? I want to say, not my will be done, but your will be done. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you're moving in our midst this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're stirring something up deep within us, deep within our soul. There's a fire that you're kindling. You're beginning to breathe upon us now. Lord, I pray that that fire would grow, that it would burn in our lives, that we wouldn't throw water on it, we wouldn't um, extinguish it in any way, but that our desire would be to fan it into flame and say, Lord, we want more of you.
less of me and more of you. Lord, you're a good God. Your will isn't just to come in and mess our lives up and ruin our lives, take away all our fun. That's not who you are. You want us to live lives that are full of joy, full of excitement, but we get off track so easily. Lord, I believe you're pulling us back onto track this morning. You're refocusing us on what's really important, and that is a relationship with you. Lord, we want to get to a place where we eagerly and earnestly desire the presence of God in our lives, where we earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit and, and earnestly desire the greater gifts, where all of us desire to be used by you in every meeting that we're in, whether it's the prayer meeting, whether it's a, a small group meeting, a connect group meeting, whether it's on a Sunday, whether it's just us meeting with some other Christians. We desire for the unseen God to be manifest in our midst. Lord, let that fire burn in us this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Just come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us right now. Pray for more of you, Lord. We yield to you. We surrender to you. If we're in any of these camps, Lord, we repent. and We say, Lord, move us on. Show us what decisions we need to make to break camp this morning. In Jesus' name. Lord, I just want to pray of every person listening to the sound of my voice this morning. I want to pray for every sick person. I want to speak healing over them in the mighty name of Jesus. Those that are struggling in pain this morning, I want to pray healing and freedom from pain right now in the name of Jesus. Those who are struggling with a spirit of infirmity, Lord, I rebuke that spirit. I tell it to leave right now in Jesus' name. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill them now in Jesus' name. I felt while I was preparing this message, there was someone listening in here who was really struggling with fear. The Bible says that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. If that's you this morning, I want you to know that God is not a God of fear. He doesn't want you to be afraid of Him. When He fills you with His Holy Spirit, it's a spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit draws us into the presence of God. Yes, He's awesome. Yes, He's almighty. And the fear of the Lord is a healthy thing. But He doesn't want to fear us where we don't want to draw near to Him. That's not the fear of the Bible. In fact, I believe that there's someone listening in here this morning who's you're not a Christian. In fact, I actually believe you're a Muslim. You're listening to this message. There's a fear inside of you. Um, I'm not in any way wanting to embarrass you or anything like that. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ loves you. He's not a God of fear. You can get to know Him today by simply surrendering your life to Him. And He, he will come in. He will fill you with His Holy Spirit. He will fill you with His love. And the Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. You can know God. You've grown up all your life with a misunderstanding of who God is. He's not a God of fear, not a God of terror. He's a God that wants you to know Him. He sent His only Son, Jesus, to make a sacrifice so that you can get to know Him, to cover over your sins, to extinguish the wrath of God so that you can be clothed 
in the righteousness of Jesus. If that's you, I want to invite you just to say a prayer. Maybe you don't know God this morning. Maybe there's many other people. Let's just say a quick prayer, inviting Jesus to be Lord of our lives. Just repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you, Lord, you took my sin upon your life. You died in my place so that I can be forgiven of my sins. Lord, I forgive those who have sinned against me. I forgive them in the same way that I'm asking you to forgive me. And I thank you, Lord, that you do forgive me. From now on, Lord, I want to hear your voice and I want to live for you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And I thank you, Lord, that you give me the gift of eternal life. You bring me into a relationship with you. I give you glory, honor, and praise. In the name of Jesus, amen.